want to continue on with the series of how we should uh, then live in the light of uh, what's going on in our world around us as the people of God. How do we respond to that? Uh, Last week we uh, introduced this series by exploring three biblical principles that guide us uh, seeking an answer to this question um, of, of how we live in this increasingly secular culture. The three principles that we looked at uh, last week, just in summary form, uh, the first one was we, we can't rely on the resources and the means that the world says are available to us. They, they might be good, uh, they might be good to use, but we're not limited to that. That's not all we've got. Uh, in the face of what seems like sometimes an overwhelming cultural shift away from the values that Jesus lived and that Jesus taught, uh, we need to remember that our hope comes from God, uh, from God himself, the creator of all that is. Uh, we look to the mountains. Does our help come from the mountains? No, our help comes from the creator of the mountains. That was the first principle. The second one was that we need to be those who are prayerfully studying our culture and seeking to understand it so that we can properly apply uh, the word of God and advocate for our nation to head in the direction of justice and mercy and faithful humility. That was the second principle. Uh, the third principle was uh, we need to be involved and prayerful citizens getting on with the job. Uh, we need to be those who are knowing that God has not abandoned us but we're working for the fulfilment of his plans. As we live in the world, uh, we are called to be people who have an ethic of difference. We're called to live differently. We're not called to live some other place <laughs> geographically removed, we're called to be uh, involved and engaged with the world around us, with the culture in which we live, but to live differently, to have an ethic of difference. Jesus taught that very clearly. We're to live according to God's revealed values. Uh, Sometimes this will involve affirmation, while at other times it will mean we'll challenge and refuse to fit in. But at all times it will be for the shalom of the culture, for the shalom of the city, for the well-being of the society in which we live. Those are the three principles that we unwrapped uh, last, last week as, as principles uh, that will guide us no matter what the questions are. We are the people of God seeking to respond to our world, uh, the problems that we see that it has and here's the guiding principles. As soon as we read those principles we should be moved to repentance I believe. We should be uh, moved to uh, repentance and a commitment to do better at being God's alternative culture in the world. Because as we go through those principles, we've got to admit uh, that at times uh, we as the collective church in Australia don't do a very good job at that. We haven't done very well at uh, being the people of God in our Australian culture and our society actually holds us accountable to that. And that's why today I want to look at this idea of uh, living as God's people in our culture and what does that mean for the church today before next week we're going to have a look at some of the hot issues in that society and how we respond to those hot issues. But I I thought that we've, we've got to first of all look at ourselves. You know, when we start talking about the culture around us and how we're going to live in the culture, uh, it's very easy to start throwing brickbats at, at, at everybody else and how terrible the world is. You know, isn't it shocking? And we either withdraw from it or, or start to protest or, or whatever it might be. 
Um, but I, I think the first step in the process is to look at ourselves and I think that's a biblical thing. I think we, we, we've got to turn around and say, well, what are we doing that's a part of the problem <laughs> rather than a part of the solution? And uh, that's a huge topic and uh, I, I, I think I've been guilty in these notes of putting down, uh, trying to put down everything I know about the subject. So um, you might need to sit on that chair occasionally to, <laughs> to keep you awake or something like that. But the first thing I, I want to share with you is what I believe is the perception that our culture has of the church today. How, how does our culture see us? And, and, and this has been... Um, I've been thinking about this for many years and I, I, I talk to people about that. Uh, people who are not Christian, who are not involved in the church. And, and how, do you, how do you see us? How do we come across? And some of these things might be very offensive to, to us, but that, that's okay. We need to be offended sometimes. We need to hear, even if it's not true, we need to hear what the perception is so we know what we're dealing with. Some of you will remember that uh, 10 years ago now I, I was uh, on Melbourne City Council. I was a councillor there. And I, I was um, really concerned that the churches in the city uh, start taking some civic responsibility. It was the, uh, it, it was the, um, the height isn't right, but it, it was the middle of um, the heroin flood in the city. And, and we, we weren't knowing what to do with it. There was this flood of heroin. Heroin was very cheap and people were not responding in appropriate ways and the problem was just getting out of hand. It was really bad. And it fell into my portfolio as, as a counsellor in charge of community services. And so I got this idea that we'd get all the leaders of, of the, the churches in the city to come in and to, to share uh, with the councillors, all of the councillors and the Lord Mayor and the Deputy Lord Mayor about how they saw the problem and what could they do uh, to help us to respond to this heroin crisis in the city. And so they all came in and, and, and I've I got to tell you it was a, a pretty tough fight to get all the councillors and the, the Lord Mayor John So uh, to, er, to get everybody there. It was a tough fight but they did. It was one of the few meetings actually in, in the years that I was there where everybody came together for one of these community type meetings. And all the leaders of the church were there and I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed. I was embarrassed at how self-centred the church leaders and the churches seemed to be. Uh, the, the, the conversation really didn't go the way that it was designed to go about talking about the heroin crisis and so forth. They started talking about parking restrictions on a Sunday morning. And they, they started talking about you know, the things that affected the church and, and the running of their, their, their services on a Sunday morning and so forth and it was just so completely out of whack as far as I was concerned. Um, just three weeks ago I met with uh, one of the councillors uh, of that time. He's no longer on councillor, not a Christian bloke. And I, I met with him, we had a coffee. And you know one of the things, he, we were sort of reminiscing and he brought up, he said, you remember when you got all the church leaders to come in? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, that was a disaster, wasn't it? <laughs> that was terrible. He said, that was one of the low points of the whole time we were on council. It was just so embarrassing. As I went through, through my time on council, uh, one of the church leaders was actually banned from the town hall because of how rude he was to the staff. And the, the, uh, the, the CEO, the city of Melbourne, actually had to sit down with him and say, you're not welcome here anymore. And he was a church leader within the city. There were two churches that uh, really stood out in, in, the, in the mind of the council over those years. Uh, one was well, not a church, church works I suppose. One was Urban Seed that I have the privilege now of, 
of uh, leading, but the other one was the Salvation Army, Mission 614 with Brendan Noddle because Brendan had had a really different approach of getting in and being involved and saying, what can I do? How can I help you? You know, what's your agenda and where does that meet with our agenda and how can we work together on this? Brendan's just brilliant at that. And, and, and he, got, he, he won the award from the Lord Mayor last year this, of the, um, uh, what was it called? The Mel, Melburnian of the Year. Melburnian of the Year. There's something given to him as a church leader. You know, it could have been anybody, but Brendan got it. What, what a contrast between some of the other churches. By the way, I, I need to add to that that in the last 10 years, things have changed with a couple of churches in the city and, and I'm really pleased to, to see that. But that, that, that was a problem uh, and, and that sort of helped me understand this is how we're coming across. <laughs> um, it might not be fair, but it is how we're coming across. The media portrayal of the church is a dark one indeed, especially now with the Royal Commission going on, the Royal Commission into sexual abuse and the media portrays all of us. The, the mud's flying and it sticks whether we're guilty or not. And the church is coming out of that with, with a really tarnished reputation and, and, and as I say, the mud's flying and it sticks. As I did an analysis on this question, how does our culture see us, I came up with some of the following. I'm just going to rush through these. I've got broader notes but we're not going to spend the time on it. But there seems to be a general impression uh, that the, the church is a consumer not a citizen. The church is there to consume what it can. Uh, free rates for instance. It's there to consume from the city uh, from the, the, uh, the society what it can uh, but not to give back uh, into the well-being of the city. It's not a citizen. Uh, it, it's seen that the church is competitive and, and not collaborative. Uh, competing with one another, um, uh, you know, one denomination against another, fighting for whatever it might be, and it it's, gets this impression across that the church is competitive and not collaborative. I, I heard that on a number of occasions. Uh, and another one that's thrown at us is the church is heavenly minded. It's it's perceived as sort of uh, uh, this other spiritual super spirituality and other worldliness, and concerned only with matters of the next life and not of this life unless it involves parking restrictions on a Sunday morning. A church that's seen um, as, as earthly good is going to be interested uh, in the life right here and right now but a church that's often that's perceived as being heavenly minded doesn't seem to take any interest in uh, the things of uh, the life of the city and the the, uh, the relevancy of today and so the, the, the church is oftentimes seen as irrelevant to daily life. Why would I be involved with it? Uh, oftentimes uh, the, the church was seen as, as uh, being involved in, in uh, matters of sexual and physical abuse, the Royal Commission and, and the church has oftentimes uh, been seen as being uh, too intrusive in personal ethics but not concerned about other sorts of ethics and so we could go on. Pretty dark picture really. Is it fair? Is it accurate? Of course it's not as far as you know, the churches that we know and, and uh, uh, it's painting a very broad brush but these are the perceptions that are out there. In many ways they are grossly unfair. Our stories could be told that can contradict every one of these. We could have our own stories here that contradict how we have been involved and how we, more we are interested in, in, in things that matter in daily life and so forth. But the perception is a reality for a lot of people and they usually come out of personal or corporate experience. And so these perceptions 
really need to be addressed. Uh, We're God's people uh, immersed into our culture but if our culture is seeing us like this we've got a problem. (laughs) We've got a problem. In in gross terms we've got a marketing problem (laughs) because the, uh, the, the franchise has a real bad reputation. Whether it's fair or not doesn't really matter. It has a bad reputation. So what are we going to do about that? Well, in stark contrast to all of that, we've got to have a look at what God wants his church to be perceived as in the world. How does God want us to be seen? Well, we looked at Jeremiah 29 last, uh, last week and probably every time I've been here. Jeremiah 29, that letter Jeremiah writes to the exiles immersed into a, a, a city that, uh, that hated the Jews immersed into a city that was uh, the epitome of evil. In Jeremiah 29 he writes this letter and he says you've got to become involved in it, you've got to become engaged with it, you've got to work for the common good. Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Seek the shalom and the prosperity. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it. This is how God wants us to be involved in the city. He wants us to be known as a people of justice and a people of mercy and a people of humility. Micah chapter 4. Uh, Micah chapter 6, you, you, you know that verse so well, 6, 8. That this is what the Lord God wants. He wants you to, to, to be known as justice people and merciful people and, and humble people. Justice is doing what is right. Stark contrast, isn't it, to the, to the public persona that we have. Whether it's fair or not, I want to keep on saying that. It's the public persona that we have. And God says, I want you to be known as a people who do what is right as a people who are into unconditional kindness, that's mercy, and as a people who are doing that journey journey of faithfulness and of integrity. This is how I want you to be known. Micah chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we, uh, we are called to be light in the darkness that we are called to be those who are showing the way, taking the lead on what is right. Let me read some selected verses from Ephesians 5. Paul, writing to the church in in Ephesus, a church that was known for its idolatry, stood out as as, as, uh, a, a city that was into evil because of its idolatry. And there's this church, a collection of God's people, And Paul says to them, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Be known as a people who are into thanks, who are into thankfulness. Be known as that people. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Or he might say in the context of this, because the persona needs to be changed. Uh, be those who are committed to being light in darkness. Has the church ever experienced that? Sure has. Sure has. The great revivals of the church, the Wesleyan revival in England in the 18th century, uh, the church was known for that and great, other great revivals. But we go back to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 to see great examples of how the earliest church was known in the culture. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 describes the life of the church and how they would meet together and, uh, and, and make sure that they were meeting each other's needs and breaking bread together and they were enjoying the favour of all of the people it says there, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47 they were meeting together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved or again in Acts chapter 4 uh, we see the same type of thing going on where they're meeting each other's needs and God was powerfully at work amongst them. Um, they were selling their houses and making sure that there was nobody in need within the community of faith. And their reputation was growing as a people of kindness, as a people of love, agape, you know, that unconditional love, as a, as a people of, of mercy. Oh, there were some... Uh, black spots in the church the very next chapter uh, uh, talks about um, uh, some stuff that was going wrong in the church and needed discipline uh, but generally speaking uh, this community of faith in its earliest days was fulfilling that idea of being light in darkness and there have been some great examples you, you would be able to tell stories over the history of this church of how you have actually had great uh, examples and been able to be known as light in darkness and, that, and that's, that's wonderful and that's how God wants us to be known in the world so you see the picture I'm trying to draw here there's this public persona that we have and we, 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 we're having a hard time at the moment for many various reasons uh, and, and some, some of it we deserve <laughs> some of it we, we, we don't but that's the fact but over against that there's this this desire of God to, to have an alternative culture showing the way to have an alternative community uh, living within the culture being immersed and engaged in the culture but showing the way of love and showing the way of justice and mercy and humility that's what he calls us to be that's how we should then live as the church in the light of the increasing secularisation of the world around us. So with that in mind, what are we going to do about it? What's some practical things we can do? How should we then live in the face of this public persona, the profile that we've got, the way people perceive us? What are we going to do? Well, obviously, the first thing, it starts with living faithfully every day, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's obvious. We, we, we've got to be those people. We've got to be those people. We've got to be those people who are light in darkness. Or in the words of Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. 
That's a pivotal verse in Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are a wonderful theology on the calling that God has given to us to be his people and what that really means. And the, uh, the, the last three chapters of Ephesians are how should we then live sort of chapters of, of unwrapping it and, and, and saying this is how it applies in this and this and this situation. But that pivotal verse right in the middle, on the basis of all of what you're called to be the people of God, I urge you to live a life that's worthy of the calling you've received and this is what that life will look like. So right there in the centre of it, Ephesians turns, if you like, on that verse. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We have been called to be the people of God. Live it. (laughs) That's basically what Paul's saying. Live it. Live a life that's worthy of that. Now, as soon as I say that, I I, I think we've got an endemic problem. (laughs) We've got something that is um, a problem because of our commitment uh, to reaching the last and the least and the lost uh, to, to, to reaching uh, people who are really struggling with life, who are doing it tough, who have been involved in all of the things that we might be accused of being involved in as the church. And we, 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 we want to include those people. So we've got a theology of inclusiveness and of mercy and of grace. And so at any time our number should be made up of people who are doing it tough people who have checkered backgrounds and maybe the way that they're still living, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of growth in grace sort of stuff and, 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 and they're, they're tarnishing the reputation of the church because of the way... And we want to include those people. So as soon as we talk about the church and its profile in, in the public scene, um, you know, there's, there's the the temptation to, well, let's become a bit more exclusive and only accept good people in. (laughs) Only accept people who are doing it right and living well so that our profile can be a whole lot better. Well, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. It's a problem that we're going to have to live with because we don't exclude wrongdoers. (laughs) We don't exclude them. Um, we, We don't demand perfection for continued association with us. We must never fall into that trap. And so that will affect our reputation. It certainly did for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' reputation was pretty screwed at times because of the people he hung around with. He didn't let them stop him. He didn't say, whoa, I've got to be careful on the public profile here so I'll stop hanging around with tax collectors and sinners and so forth. He said, hey, you guys got a problem. <laughs> These are the ones who are, they, they recognise they need some help, you know. So he, he didn't change the way he was operating. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we can seek to address that wonderful problem, if you like, <laughs> that wonderful problem, um, by making sure that leaders of the church are above reproach what it says in the pastoral epistles be careful be careful who you appoint to leadership I think that anybody that dares to take on a leadership position I'm not talking about perfection I'm talking about integrity I'm talking about a commitment to live faithfully be careful of who you appoint to leadership secondly I, I think 
We need to deal openly and honestly and transparently when there is wrongdoing. Uh, with, with the whole Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse uh, through the Church, one of the, one of the toughest things to deal with is the way that things are being covered over by leadership. Or is it apparently, apparently, supposedly. The way that things have been covered over. There's been lack of transparency in dealing with issues. We need to deal with things openly and honestly and transparently. And of course we need to put into place appropriate measures of protection so people are protected as much as possible. There are things that we can do, there are other things that we can do to address this problem. But that doesn't take away from us the requirement to be those who are committed to living faithfully every day. The second thing, we're talking about how should we then live in, in, the, in the light of this profile that we've got that we need to address. We need to address it. Now the second thing is uh, everyone, no one, and the no is K-N-O-W. Everyone, get to know one. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie um, called Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk is a, a movie about um, the, the, the gay revolution in the 1960s in San Francisco. And, uh, and um, uh, the, one of the key messages that was coming through that, uh, that Harvey uh, Milk had was everyone, no one. That he, he called for people to, quote unquote, come out of the closet because people have to get to know uh, gay people that was his idea. That was the, the message behind the gay revolution of the 60s in California. Uh, if you think about it, uh, that's uh, a, a biblical message as far as Christians are concerned. Everybody get to know one. If we've got a bad profile out there, then people get, need to get to know what we're really like. People need to understand uh, that Christians are people of faith and, and, and Christians are committed uh, to love and to grace and to mercy and humility. Uh, that Christians are people who, who apply these things or are seeking to apply these things every day. And as people walk alongside of us, they get to know us. And it doesn't compute. It doesn't compute. You know, I'm reading in the paper that you Christians are all like this and and, and, and this is what people are saying about you and everything, but you're different. You're different. You know, you're not like that. Uh, how come? <laughs> That's the idea of everyone knowing one. First Peter 2.12, Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans. I hate that English translation of that word. The, the Greek is ethnos and it just simply means the peoples. <laughs> the peoples of the world. And so let me <coughs> rephrase it. Live such good lives among the peoples of the world that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and get to glorify God. So live good lives among the people so that the accusations that are being thrown at Christians en masse, well, they don't make sense. They don't make sense. You're different. They may see your good deeds and be moved to praise God. <clears throat> the, you see, the aim here is to build good relationships. 
because good relationships between you and your neighbour, between you and people at work and between you and, and, and wherever you might have Christians who are not in the faith, uh, people who are not in the faith, <coughs> those relationships will break down the persona that can be so horrible. But in moving quickly on to my next point, we've still got a problem because you might just be a really nice person. <laughs> See, it's just an individual. And so the conclusion might be, yeah, well, that's true of everybody else, but you know, you're okay, but phew, why do you hang around with those people? <laughs> you know, they're into this and this and this. How come you hang around with them? You're a nice person, you know. So to overcome that, there's got to be corporate entrance points. There's got to be corporate entrance points. In other words, entrance points into the community of faith to get to know that you're not a weirdo, <laughs> that you're not the strange one, that there's other people who are just as strange as you and we hang around together and we're called the community of faith. We happen to be people of God who want to live this way and there's actually a whole bunch of us. There's a whole bunch of us that call into question all of the public profile that you're talking about. People need opportunity to experience the Christian community, to see love in action in the community of faith. But I don't think it's going to happen here, no matter how good your chairs are. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen here. Because you see, when you invite people here, it's like you're selling um, a product. It's like you're selling an event. Uh, something that you do on Sunday mornings that you want other people to come and do and sort of like because our product wants to be, you know, have all the new chairs filled. <laughs> uh, so I don't think it's going to happen here. Sometimes it does. And you may have testimony as to how it does, but I think that will increasingly be not so true. I think people need to be wooed into the relational side of the faith where the purpose is to build relationships and a sense of belonging and acceptance and welcome with other Christians. I want to suggest a couple of ideas just in bringing this thing to a close. Hospitality is one of the greatest ways to do this. Inviting a few friends, Christian and non-Christian, to have a barbecue together in the backyard or down at the park. Um, doing a how to host a murder game together great Christian value. <laughs> Having uh, dinner parties with a theme, you know, we're going to have a dinner party and Christians and non-Christians, that's the key to it, you see, Christians and non-Christians together. We're going to have a, a dinner party uh, maybe in the third space, you know, maybe at some uh, pub room or something like that and we're going to have a question that we're all going to discuss and it might be something that's come out of the newspaper or something like that. And the idea is not to win over people to your way of seeing things, it's just to help them to experience that Christians are okay. <laughs> because everyone no one. People have to get to know the community of faith that we're okay in comparison to the public profile that we've got. You can do that with the arts, you know, you can go and watch a movie together and have a coffee and question time afterwards, discussing the movie, you know. You, you, can, you can do it with recreation. Now, one of the great things, I don't know if you know about ping-pong-a-thon. Anybody know about ping-pong-a-thon? 
well I am here to give you a treat. <laughs> Ping Pongathon is this thing that uh, was started up I think about six years ago by a young bloke who had uh, come back from Thailand who was uh, deeply moved with the sex trade over there and, and with the, 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 the atrocious things that were doing especially to young boys. And, uh, and, and he, he came back and he thought, we've got to do something about this. And he identified different organisations and wanted to raise some money. And so he started up this thing, Ping Pongathon. And it happens every year. And it's only men who are allowed to do it. Women are not invited to this. Because the idea is that it's men who are perpetrating the crimes and it's men who are going to take some responsibility for this and do something about it. And you get sponsored to play 24 hours of table tennis. Now, you personally don't have to play 24 hours of table tennis. It's taken in three or four hour slots, excuse me, uh, across a 24 hour period and people um, uh, sponsor you and then that money is handed on to, I think it's six different organisations who are working both here in Australia and overseas in Asian countries in the whole area of sex trade and, uh, and, and associated industries. It's a great way... Uh, to uh, to get together. In fact, you know, as a church, you, you could decide that you're going to do a ping pongathon and have it on here and invite everybody. You know, because when you mention this around people, uh, people at work and, and people and neighbours and so forth, they say, "Yeah, I'd like to do something about that." You know, I read this article, or, and and men will stand up and take responsibility for this and doing something about it. And what happens when you come together? There's a, uh, the, the, the guy who uh, heads this up uh, has put together a video that shows you some, some of the stuff that's going on through these organisations and you play that uh, and it's a chance to talk about it and it could be a chance for this church to, to, to actually come out in public and say, you know, uh, Christians have been involved in this stuff and we want to say we're sorry for that. We personally haven't been involved in it but we want to say sorry. You know, that there's been any, any problem of the church and sexual abuse. We're not on about that and that's why we're here playing this ping pong for the next 24 hours. We're going to do something about it. That's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. And in the process, people who are not in the faith come to understand that, hey, these people are all right. And that might begin to influence the way they read the next news article on how bad we are. The whole point is to break down the barriers and to change faulty perceptions through quality relationships within the community of faith. We are in desperate need, if we're going to make any difference in the Australian culture, we are in desperate need of a corrected profile and you are the best proof that the Christian faith works in everyday life. I'm going to say that again because that's really important. You need a takeaway when you've got all this stuff I've said, you need a takeaway. The takeaway is that we're in desperate need of a corrected profile and you are the best proof that Christian faith works in the everyday life. It's not about starting up new programs but it's about being inclusive in the journey that you're already on, inviting your non-Christian friends, inviting people into that journey with you. I recommend it. Well, this morning we've said some stuff, that I've said some stuff that might be hard to, to, to hear and it might not be true, but it's the way, generally speaking, the profile of the church is out there. This series is about how should we then live? What's well, not only how should we then live in the light of these, what we would perceive as immoral decisions that are going on around us in our society, 
The first question is how should we then live in the light of the bad profile, the bad publicity that we're getting? And that's what I've tried to address this morning. Next week we'll see what do we do about that with the hot issues uh, in our society where we try to live an ethic of difference. Let's just have a moment of quietness and then I'll lead in prayer. Dear God, thank you for calling us to be uh, your people and um, please help us as we leave this place today to be uh, committed uh, to living a life that's worthy of that calling. In Jesus' name, amen.